Australia is in India for another edition of the Border Gavaskar Trophy, previously known as India versus Australia. And this is Sakib welcoming you back on Cricket with an Accent. And I am accompanied by the dynamic duo from Down Under. Australia versus uh, Melbourne versus Sydney debate has been long settled uh, a few months ago. So Vijayanamagam and Sahil Sharma are here uh, joining the party. And this again, let me clarify for the listener, this is not a preview with the like, test series less than three days away. We are not going to preview Kohli, Cummins, Pujara, Smith, etc. We are just reminiscing and uh, comparing mental notes on how we all arrived here. What were our entry points? What are our throwback moments? Some controversial moments, uh, some blind spot moments, and there's going to be some disagreements. So gentlemen, uh, I would say let the beer flow while I have my coffee here. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Sakib. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me over here. And uh, maybe you could have given an introduction slightly differently. I know Sahil is from Melbourne. I'm from Sydney. You could have called me the Australian fan, while Sahil could be expected to represent what they call it an ICT now, Indian uh, cricket team fan. I don't, I, 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 I don't remember when they started this ICT thing, and I think Sahil belongs to the generation. So, yeah, that's another way of introducing. <laughs> Thank you, Vijay. Thanks, Sakib, for having us. Yeah, I mean, you can call me an ICT fan. I'm still an ICT fan, <laughs> unlike Vijay. All right, so I don't want to outnumber you here. I mean, I'm not a fan of any team anymore. But, uh, you know, my roots are from New Delhi and, you know, Gavaskar and Kapil and Tendulkar and Azhar, those were my guys. But right now, I just uh, enjoy whatever cricket I watch. And uh, so I think that's a great uh, way to distinguish the ICT memories, you know, or a fan memory. And I'm sure Vijay was a maybe ICT fan back then like me. So Vijay, I was just looking at the historical, uh, you know, data. Australia toured India for the first time, I think in the late 50s to then had three trips back to back, I think till mid 60s. But then came decade of 70 and 80s. Australia was just in India for a few times. And my entry point was the 85-86 series, uh, the tight test or the 86-87 series. So I'll throw this to you. What are your uh, first recollections of this clash? And just uh, fill us in, you know, what you thought of cricket at that point and how did you consume that and what are your recollections in hindsight? Uh, thanks, Sakib, for a good question. I think, yes, I think that's a very important context we need to set. I think um, uh, a lot of people currently talk about India-Australia as almost the greatest rivalry that we've got at the moment. And some people are even arguing that it's even better than Ashes. It's a different point of uh, view altogether. But I think that context needs to be set because when India was a backwater in cricket, in terms of cricket uh, economics and uh, cricketing prowess, Australia never bothered or didn't bother to play with India. So it was only England or the MCC that used to uh, uh, invite India over every four years through the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, whilst Australia... Uh, didn't in, I think India went to Australia in 1947. Then after that, it was a 20-year break. India went in 1967. Then there was another 10-year break, 67-68, uh, then 77-78. Similarly, yes, there were three tours uh, in the, you know, uh, two tours in the 50s. And there was another tour in 1969-70 when uh, Bill Laurie and uh, Ian Chaplin Co. came to India. After that, another 10-year break before they came to India in 79-80 with the Packer Week inside. Uh, but then I think in the 80s, it started to uh, get a bit uh, <clears throat> a bit more closer. But again, there was a gap in the 90s. I'll come to that. So my first memory of uh, uh, India versus Australia 
back then it was not called a, a border gavaskar trophy and i think i lived in a place called komadikota in south tamil nadu where we had rupa vahini which allowed me to watch the indian tour of sri lanka in 85 but we didn't have doordarshan when india went to australia in 85 86 so uh, we used to get some updates radio i still remember my first one of my first earlier memories was about uh, krishrikant i mean shrikant keshrikant um, sunil gavaskar and uh, jimmy amarnath scoring hundreds three <clears throat> the three top order batsmen or batters scoring hundreds that was the third test at the scg i think the first test was at the adelaide oval and the second was the mcg i think the second mcg created a bit of a furore because india uh, didn't go for a win or then the rains came and the australians were wildly celebrating from the balconies those were the those were the early memories but my proper first uh, memory uh, by then we had moved to tutukodi uh, or tutukorin um, as it used to be called then back then we had doordarshan plus we had the rupavahini as well <clears throat> so australia toured india in 1986 87 so the names like the boon and marsh i think it started with off off with a couple of one day internationals in jaipur and srinagar uh, so the boon marsh jones that sort of a combination you know young we are watching and a team from down under is over here and they became the household names and the the hype around border as a captain and bob simpson as a coach was also quite revealing and the tight test match created such a huge impression on me because watched the test and the last day was uh, was a sunday i guess um and the excitement in watching a, a tight test and getting to know the fact that uh, bob simpson had played as a player in the 1966-67 at the gabba against the west indies as a player then as a as a coach then borders declaration and dean jones and his vomiting so that test match Uh, created a lot of interest and of course the delhi test was washed out and and gavaskar got his uh, record 100 at uh, the wankhede uh, the other interesting anecdote about that series uh, i think there was this must be the first ever one day international at the in rajkot in gujarat but back then you know my geographical knowledge wasn't great so when they said india is playing australia in the odi uh, in rajkot i heard it as rajgarh right mahatma gandhi's um, <clears throat> final resting place in delhi and I, th- i thought they were playing in delhi then you know i had to you know i had to listen a couple of times to understand it's a different city so that's one of the early memories and raman lamba played a very good innings over there as well um, <clears throat> and then i think uh, the the other important thing uh, sakib was the 91 92 i think that was a, a series in which there was a proper hype but unfortunately the test series wasn't televised live in india uh, only the one day series but again the channel 9 and uh, i mean we got to see i think the other thing about the 91 92 i mean this is a, a follow up question to your earlier a point about the gap in australia touring india or india touring australia um if you look at 91 92 that tour was sort of sabotaged from an indian perspective by an unlikely source south africa because <clears throat> jagmohan dalmia and uh, ali bakar <clears throat> had this plan and bringing south africa over to india for a the three short one day games in october november of 1991 unfortunately which meant the indian teams departure to australia was delayed and they didn't have a proper camp they didn't have that they didn't get to the proper test match mode and they didn't arrive in perth on time i mean r morgan a huge right for the hindu and sports star used to tell us in the 80s you get to the waka you have a five day camp you know practice on those harder wickets practice wickets they used to bounce a lot more than the the actual the waka wicket and you get used to the bounce and pace of waka uh, uh, and then you go to the east to play at the gabba or, uh, or melbourne on sydney or adelaide you're kind of used to it uh, but india was delayed 
the other interesting thing was uh, Alan Border used to uh, write syndicated columns for the um, uh, the Indian Express, and uh, he used to make some comments. I mean, for some reason, as a very young boy who was 13, I couldn't fathom why Border kept on telling that the Indians have come here unprepared because, you know, we, we were watching, you know, they're playing against South Africa, they're always practicing, but probably I didn't understand that, you know, test match practice, a tour of Australia required a different mindset and different setup. Um, which meant uh, India went there and they were never in the, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure a lot of people will know the details about how Azuruddin, the, the manager back then, was Abbas Ali Beg, and that was the first series. Then they had match referee. Those are some of the details, but, you know, everyone knows the, the Vaughan, uh, Sachin Tendulkar 200s, et cetera, et cetera, Vaughan's debut, et cetera. <clears throat> but the point I'd like to make is because of South Africa, India went underprepared because India wanted to host South Africa. But then if you look at it, there was another eight years before. Australia invited India over uh, after 91, 92, 98, 99. Although people like R. Mohan wrote back then saying uh, a 4-0 thrashing like this in Australia has set back India's ambitions of getting invited over multiple times. But the reality was everyone wanted to accommodate South Africa. If you look at it, South Africa toured Australia in 93, 94, again in 97, 98, two times before India toured in 98, 99, 2000. Similarly, even England, they used to host India every four years, but they started to make it every six years, which meant someone like Sachin Tendulkar didn't play, probably missed out on one or at least one series in England and Australia at the peak of his powers. So that was, I mean, people have to understand that before it became a border Gavaskar, it was all about you know, South Africa had to be accommodated. Therefore, India, uh, which was not so fashionable when it comes to cricket compared to Pakistan or South Africa or West Indies or even England, uh, were pushed to the periphery. <clears throat> then, of course, you know, 96 was the border Gavaskar thing. Uh, there was a lot of hype um, about how the trophy came about. It was one of those ugliest designs. Whoever came up with it, they should be shorted. That's a different story. And again, as I've talked about, Jeff Boycott and his pitch report of the, one of the ugliest surfaces, day one surfaces you could see at the Firesha Kotla, India one. Uh, and then, of course, we can talk about the rest of the series. So those are some of my early memories, uh, starting with 85, 86 a bit, but mainly the 86 series in India. And probably by 91, 92, I had started to really follow <clears throat> cricket in a, in a pretty detailed manner by reading reports and stuff, etc., etc. Yeah, so those are some of my early memories and uh, the context around... Uh, how um, the gap between tours was a factor between Australia and India historically, or even in the 90s, uh, even when Sachin Tendulkar was playing. Hi, brilliant. Uh, we can wrap this podcast up now. This is such a riveting account for any young listener. Uh, they can you know, at least get a crash course of how uh, this rivalry took off. And Sahil, talking about young listeners, you, you're no young man, but you're definitely a younger man compared to me. And of course, Vijay too. Uh, so your entry point, I think, has to be a little later because uh, you are a Amitabh Bachchan fan, but of the late 80s. So I can only assume you didn't watch out, you didn't watch Gavaskar, and you also missed out on the peak years of Kapil. So uh, fill us in without any uh, more lingering suspense. You know, what is your first entry point of this rivalry, and what were your recollections of you being a fan, and how do you perceive the Aussies coming to India? Yeah, so my first memory has to be 96 uh, Delhi Test, as Vijay was saying, that the start of the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Uh, I was, I think, four or five uh, in 91, 92. And I just have a faint memory of listening to 
Sachin scoring centuries in Australia, but I wasn't following the sport at that point in time. So my first memory was uh, the B- start of the BGT Trophy, and uh, I would say that yeah, that was just just a solitary test, which is quite unimaginable that India and Australia just played one test, and Australia flew in to India for just one solitary test. And I clearly remember uh, that we we never thought that Diane Mungia would be able to uh, would able uh, would be able to score <laughs> 150 in a test match, but he did that opening against Australia. But that was a strange test match. Uh, if if you talk about the proper rivalry, yeah, it has to be the 98 series. I mean, we all were pumped up. I come from a small town called Bilai, but yeah, there was a lot of uh, yeah hype around how that uh, Sachin and Vaughn are going to face up each other. Uh, and if I, if I, and if I remember correctly, there was uh, like Mumbai beat Australia in the warm up game as well. So so so. So for me, like I was quite excited to watch that series. Another, uh, like now it's, if you come to think of it, uh, if I remember the second test match in '98, uh, I think in the on the second day India scored around 369 in a single day, and I remember Sachin making 79. Eventually, uh, Azar made 163, but I was like blown away by India's approach in that uh, test match. Like here, because generally. The test matches in India, the run rates were like around two or maximum two point five, but to see an Indian team scoring at four over, uh, around almost at four uh, and over, uh, yeah, th- like that was quite a satisfying memory at that point in time. And then eventually, like yeah, I would say that uh, what Vijay was saying about uh, Ashes, I think Ashes is more uh, like rooted in tradition. And especially in the 90s and the early 2000s, until that 2005 series happened, I think the quality of cricket, I think, was quite one-sided. Uh, but especially the Border Gavaskar Trophy from 96, if you look at it, I mean, barring two or three series, I think it has been very closely contested. Even like when the score lines in 2008 and 9 has been 2-0, uh, I mean, Australia had a chance... Then uh, that uh, test match at Mohali in 2010, uh, where Lakshman and Oja batted. So, I mean, even the last uh, test series in India, right? That was very closely fought. Like, they won the f- Australia won the first test and then India came back to win the series. So, I would say the quality of cricket has been really, uh, has to be like at the top. I mean, you can't, uh, I can't remember uh, any other rivalry. Maybe South Africa, Australia, yeah. Uh, uh, in the 90s, yeah. That was the rivalry people looked up to. But in terms of quality of cricket, I think this is the marquee rivalry. Even India-Pakistan, I mean, it's more rooted in like history rather than like we are not like India and Pakistan are not even playing now. So I would say, yeah, this is something that even for neutrals, I would say that they would look up to this uh, India-Australia series. So, Sakib, uh, thanks, Sahil, for that. Sakib, uh, if I may uh, interrupt. Um, I know you talked a little bit about your time, right? As a as a fan in the eighties, you're slightly older than me, or by a year, year, year or two. What are your memories about uh, India versus Australia before it became Border Gavaskar, or after the Border Gavaskar? Any any recollections uh, that you would like to share, Sakib? Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty much the same. Uh, the entry point was the eighty six, eighty seven series and the tied Test match, and you rightfully said uh, names like David Boone, Steve Waugh. 
uh, Jeff Marsh, Dean Jones, they became household names. Like in in and and our ecosystems as a young schoolboy was very different. Your your factual counterpoint was an older cousin in my case or my father, and then you go to school and exchange notes about cricket, and then I realized like. Uh, my friends who had older brothers were just somehow a little more knowledgeable. They were seeing a different game. My And my late father was one of those classic fans who watched the game. But as older I grew and uh, I realized I surpassed, you know, maybe that was the passing of the baton, baton. Like I became a better fan because my window was slightly, you know, bigger. So I would sometimes, I realize in that era, bring in more information from school. And my my dad, of course, was reading a lot of newspapers and what was Doordashan was feeding us. But yeah, going back to that point, I think if I was a cricket infant in uh, India's uh, series versus West Indies when they came after the World Cup, that's when I was introduced to cricket. But by the time 85, 86, uh, or 86, 87 rolled around, then Pakistan came, Sri Lanka came in between. This was like my cricket toddler phase when I was so hooked to cricket and uh, the Greg Matthews tight test. And then next year, I became a legend in my school. I predicted an Aussie win for the Reliance Cup just because I had nothing else to say in a school bus ride. And my seniors laughed at me when India had beaten Australia during the Diwali one day. And then, of course, a few weeks later, they win the cup and some, and they, they thought like I was some, you know, cricket Nostradamus. I just, you know, blindly started supporting Australia after, of course, India was my team, but I like Border and Steve Waugh and Simon O'Donnell. So I think to me, the, the rivalry started then. But then Australia became a bigger force when under Mark Taylor, after Border won, uh, helped them win the Reliance Cup. They started winning in England. Actually, still under Alan Border, right? Uh, Mark Taylor was, you know, made his debut, I think, in the in the Asher series. He didn't come to India. So I think uh, how the rivalry has grown is just simply fascinating. And I also see uh, the rivalry also has an economic tussle because uh, prior to India, West Indies was the team. And then Pakistan under Imran had a lot of say in cricketing terms. But India's rise in the 90s, which we'll talk about, not only on the cricket field, we started having players like Tendulkar uh, and later Ganguly and Dravid and Lakshman. But it also became such an economic equal and then all of a sudden surpassed England and Australia. So I think the rivalry ran even into boardrooms and, uh, you know, fandoms. And of course, there was no, no way in the 80s to know what an Aussie or English fan thinks because we were relying on sports star and uh, you know, uh, Indian Express and the Hindu and all those publications. But now we live in a global world that we do podcasts and, you know, we look what an Aussie fan or the Barmi army is saying or the Pakistani fans are saying. So it's a very different world. But yeah, uh, my entry point was same as you. But again, Vijay, you are very articulate and you remember a lot of facts. Uh, I don't remember the facts, but I think, uh, yeah, some of the Aussies became my favorite cricketers later on. We, we'll get into it. So let me throw this back to you, Vijay, because my favorite series, even though India lost under Azharuddin and Abbas Ali Beg in the 91-92 prequel to the World Cup. That was just, you know, my board exams were on. We were listening to this in school on the transistor. Test series wasn't live. They were showing highlights at night. The the triangular one-day series was live. So if you remember, you probably do. So not like they called it the big three, but there was a, some sort of a poster or cover uh, prelude to the series with Manjrekar, Azaruddin, and Tendulkar. And we were really excited that India is getting a five-test tour to Australia. It was a huge billing. And of course, India was not ready, like you said, rightfully so. South Africa came. By the way, I attended that ODI at Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium, the first day-night day, match there, I think. No, the second one. I think Pakistan played one earlier. Tendulkar, we waited for him. He got out for one. But anyway, that was a slight digression. 
So I want to ask you, Vijay. So India goes there for a five-test series, you know, loses 4-0 convincingly. Uh, could have won Sydney and Adelaide. We can have another podcast on that, but results is what matters. And then they don't get called to Australia till 99. So what are your recollections for a young fan or young listener? Why was that big a gap? Was India still not considered a worthy opponent who would come in and not fill the stadiums or who will not come in and not get the Australian media rights excited? Because after then, they have been regulars. Now they're going like every two years. But uh, what do you remember of that uh, big gap from 91 to 99? Uh, Sakib, I just mentioned in the earlier point, right? So the entry of South Africa became a problem because everyone wanted to accommodate South Africa, right? So if you look at it, India went in 91, 92. Then South Africa were invited over in 93, 94, and then 97, 98, every four years. When South Africa was not there, India would have gone there by 95, 96, right? Uh, similarly, even England, which used to host India every four years, they started to host India every six years because in that cycle, everyone wanted to accommodate South Africa, which was a, an exciting side, a side uh, which had a lot of historical connects with both England and Australia. They had players like Alan Donald, Kepler Wessels, <clears throat> Peter Kirsten. A lot of them had played in county cricket. They were more familiar and they were tough uh, competitive side. So the entry of South Africa kind of made it harder for India uh, to be invited over. And they were an exciting one-day side as well. And India had the other point, uh, Sakib, the BCCI along with uh, England, English Cricket Board, back then it was TCCB, right? Test and County Cricket Board, were the only two boards which would never ever send a side to Australia only to play in the Benson and Edges World Series Cricket. So <clears throat> India and England would go only for the Test Series. And in that particular on that particular tour, they'd play in the Triangular World Series. But other sides like West Indies, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, uh, or New Zealand, or even South Africa after that, they were invited over as a third team. And India and England were the only two, if I could say, puritanical Victorian era sides who'd play only test matches. Can you imagine BCCR being uh, so averse? Uh, I mean, sorry, so against playing only one day internationals, playing only test cricket, those were the days. Anyway, so that's the context. That, I mean, the South Africa was the main reason, probably the main reason why India was not invited over for eight years. Now, coming back to 91-92, as I said, right, there was a very interesting tour. Even the Australian media had billed the Indian top seven as the, I think not the magnificent seven as one of those things, like, you know, they were, they were built up. I mean, they were kind of building it up. But strangely, that series didn't attract a lot of crowds. Even uh, I think the Boxing Day, if I'm right, uh, there were only 40,000 people uh, for day one of Boxing Day, which, which is not a big crowd. Um, but I think interestingly, uh, when India played at the GABA, the gap was obvious because uh, in 80-81, when India toured, they played in Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney. Then 85-86 was a poor Australian side in transition because of the uh, South African rebels. Again, they played in uh, Adelaide, Sydney and Melbourne. So the first time India plays a fighter series, starting with the typical GABA, and back then GABA was, you know, used to be <clears throat> sort of a green seam. The bounce was there, but the ball used to do a lot of sideways movement as well. And India lost seven wickets in the first session. Um, very interestingly, Durdashan, so I'll tell a story. Um, uh, I still remember the day because uh, my mother and I, I mean, I told her, right, that my mother was a big cricket fan. She only taught me what cricket was. We were staying up till, I think, when they, they back then, the Doordarshan, the Indian state broadcaster, they used to uh, end the day because it wasn't 24 by 7. At 11.30 in the night, they'll end it with, a, with an announcement. Uh, 
usually if there's an important sporting telecast they would tell okay tomorrow morning we are starting early and stuff so we were hoping to get such an announcement because there's no uh, firm because back then there was no internet there was no twitter for them to release we were hoping that india australia would be televised it wasn't then the morning we woke up around six o'clock to check so i don't know if you remember uh, sakib on doordarshan in the morning there was a puppet that was called the master g that used to be there speaking in hindi of course <laughs> but you know we used to turn i mean back then there, there was no tv program so the master g would would tell us uh, the score of the test test match happening at the gaba every half an hour or something in between news bulletin they'll say so you used to have the tv turned on just to listen to that and master g will say something about i forgot the name of the other host i forgot his name uh, so master g used to tell the score and then used to listen a bit on radio as well but then used to watch the highlights uh, every evening and then of course the 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 one day internationals benson ages world series that was also televised live so we, we got some exciting cricket coming from there and greg chapel uh, being a commentator was such a good thing along with the usual ian chapel richie beno uh, tony greg and uh, of course bill lorry right so those were those were fantastic things but i think um, a couple of uh, stand out things for me was or at least it's 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 a i mean i don't think anyone has challenged me i've been telling this on twitter the first ever uh, day night session of a test match happened on that tour uh, india had lost um, uh, i think venkatpati raju was i think he got out for i think india were like uh, if i'm right 70 out for five then sachin Ten- or six sachin tendulkar and uh, dilip engsaka they played till 8 o'clock or whatever 7:30 local melbourne time i think that was the first ever test match cricket session to be played under the lights um i don't think any other ground i mean so i think i'm i mean almost right but i don't think anyone has verified that but I, I, you know we have done a fair bit of checking so so that happened and then of course uh, the won debut but more importantly indians were a bit disappointed with the umpiring um, at the adelaide oval where they had a good chance of uh, getting a win but there was also a bit of a complaint about uh, uh manoj prabhakar getting a, a bit of a raw hand from the umpires in terms of no balls i think that is something a little bit of an unhappy thing for uh, the indian team but i think to be honest with you that tour kind of exposed the the overall fitness i mean the australian grounds where uh, the adelaide oval um, you know straight down uh, the players can hit and they could run five right um uh, and you had to literally chase from the first if someone had to run literally all the way from the slips back then or from covers to go to the long off and the seagulls i mean there were a lot of seagulls so i think back then australia was a was a was a was a very fascinating place to watch cricket on tv with with the background and stuff um i think the other uh, important thing um you know i'd like to call out from that series was uh, the professionalism of australia and the fitness of australia and you know they were getting close i think they were the best one day side in the world though they didn't do very well in the following world cup uh, a couple of months later in the home conditions um they having won the bilateral one day series in west indies uh, for one uh, so they, they they were aggressive they played a brand of cricket which is very different um and i think indian team probably lacked a bit of uh, characters and they lacked a bit of quality as well across the board um so i, I think the 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 other interesting thing was mohammad azruddin and his press uh, you know after the game um is is pretty much had a banal way of saying the boys didn't play well um uh, the boy i mean we didn't get enough runs so tom alter who used to uh, run quite a few programs in doordarshan i still remember he put out um 
a sort of a collage kind of thing in terms of videos of all Azharuddin's post-match um, interviews with mostly with Tony Gregg, who used to be the the Channel Nine uh, compare on the anchor. <laughs> he was so surreal to watch Azhar, uh, you know, pretty much uh, repeating uh, the same set of sentences, and, and because it was a poor tour um, with India losing most of the games, right? Um, the 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 other interesting thing was. Australians felt they didn't play well because the middle order, Mark Waugh didn't get runs and Steve Waugh, interestingly, didn't play in that series. Australians felt they weren't at the best except maybe Boone who scored a lot of runs. Um, but again, um, the quicks, McDermott, and after, even after Reed broke down, Whitney happened to have the big say in the, at the Wacker test as well, though Sachin Dalko scored a brilliant 100. So yeah, it was a, it's a bit of a, it was a very humbling uh, series after all the expectations. Uh, interestingly, um, um, as I said, Alan Border used to ghostwrite a column for the Indian Express, which we didn't know at that time. Harsha Bogle was writing. Uh, again, Harsha Bogle, uh, he had his breakthrough as a as a radio commentator for the series uh, on ABC. So he used to write, and I think now we have realized that that was an important, you know, additional source of income for him because he was, you know, he was paid and he was on a shoestring budget and writing this column for. Alan Border using shorthand. I mean, very interestingly, he has mentioned that recently, or I think in one of the podcasts, he mentioned that. So back then, you know, Border used to, uh, you know, quickly recite and he used to use shorthand to uh, write it and then, you know, publish the column for the Indian Express. So, yeah. So those were some of the memories. Again, you know, R. Morgan uh, was uh, fantastic uh, for the Hindu and the sports star, uh, <clears throat> the way he covered it. Um, and Suresh Menon was there from Indian Express as well. So for some reason, we used to get Indian Express as well. So we used to read uh, pretty much uh, everything that was written about the tour um, at that time. So yeah, it was it was not great from a results perspective. That was a great tour from my education perspective as a cricket fan, as a young 13, 14-year-old boy uh, to learn. Uh, so those were some of the memories from uh, 91, 92 Sake. Sure. So again, Sahil, this kind of paves the way for the next question for you, know, you both. Uh, you can go first. So uh, in, in terms of context as a fan and also now, you know, someone who analyzes the game as a fan, what are your favorite moments when Australia has toured India? I'm not saying you can pick, you can also pick an India moment in Australia, but I think since Australia is in India, I think it's more fitting if you look back at some of the series in the 90s and early 2000s, what stands out? Uh, I'm sure Final Frontier is there, but uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would like to hear what your favorite memories are. Yeah, obviously, top of the mind has to be the 155 by Sachin, which uh, I thought is kind of a turning point for Sachin as well, because uh, at that point in time, everybody was looking up to him, right? That here is a Australian team coming to India shores, and how would he fare against uh, arguably the best bowler uh, in the world? That is Shane Vaughan. And, uh, and I think he did like fairly well and I think especially that year 98 was a great year for Sachin Tendulkar uh, like not just in test cricket but also like even the ICC knockout and then the subsequent Coca-Cola Cup and all these series Pepsi Cup which India lost but still I mean Sachin uh, I mean did uh, really well uh, against Australia uh, in that period in 98 uh, the other memories, if I can think of, is uh, 2001. Yeah, it holds a special memory because I know it might 
sound like a broken record but that fourth day at eden gardens i mean i think anybody who has watched that game would an indian fan uh, won't forget that day because i clearly vividly remember what i was doing because i was at home uh, our exams had completed and uh, i remember my father going to like he's a professor so he he went to college he had some he had like a 3 hour invigilation uh, invigilation duties and he said and we just discussed in the morning when i started watching the match that the match could be over yeah by the time he comes and when he came back and i was i just opened the door for him and he said what's the score and i said they both are still batting uh and he was like what uh, what are you saying that both of them are batting and and then from then on i think that test match really and there is another very very clear memory of the test matches that uh, the day harbhajan took hat trick on the first day was also the day when pulela gopichand won the all england badminton championship and i clearly remember the newspaper on the front pages they both showed harbhajan and gopichand uh, 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 like the, uh, on the front page so that that is a special mem- that is a special memory and again i think especially that 2001 series even the chennai test uh, i i mean vijay would definitely uh, uh would add on to a lot of uh, things about that test match uh but chasing 155 i mean that was such a nerve wracking test match to watch for me as uh, like i was just in ninth standard so i just couldn't stand don't want to revisit that test match because i was so nervous that how can india because so many things as a young kid when you're watching right they they go through your mind that india has come back from a follow on they won a test match and now they're going to lose that series uh and they're not they will not be able to chase 155 uh but eventually yeah harbhajan hit that yorker from megrath and india won that series another of my special memories is the india australia bangalore test from 2008 which uh, eventually india won 2-0 and like a lot of people uh, remember it as one of the weaker australian sides to visit india uh, and and they didn't have a frontline spinner and jason craza played uh, made his debut in the fourth test but up until then they were playing cameron white i guess who was even a part time spinner for his own uh, like team victoria so in the first test i clearly remem- remember that uh, india was struggling and then there was a partnership from zaheer khan and harbhajan singh which kind of saved the day for india and even in the second innings sachin and lakshman had uh, a small partnership to ensure that india drew that game and from there on i would say that yeah it was quite one sided uh and lastly i think i would just say i would not talk about the recent series because so much has been talked about uh that test match at mohali where lakshman and uh, ishan sharma had that partnership and eventually india won because i was i had just got my first job i was in training and uh, i remember i didn't watch uh, a lot of that match but i was just following it on the internet and uh, i don't remember <laughs> whatever training they were giving about my job but i clearly remember that i watched e- i was clearly following each and every uh, delivery of that match uh, and then i went back home and watched the highlights of that game so yeah i mean these are some of my memories of uh, if i can think of some more yeah probably that mumbai test match yeah we should also talk about that 2004 not a happy memory as an indian fan but uh i 
I think that was like a masterclass from Sachin and Lakshman uh, in the third innings, uh, even though it was just Horrids and Michael Clark, but uh, it was really special to see them uh, bat uh, in those tough conditions. And those were like really horrible conditions to bat. So yes, these would be some of my memories. No, those are plenty. And uh, some of them <clears throat> brought like, you know, a lot of uh, memories back for myself. So Vijay, I'll throw this back to you. Uh, do you still have a word called favorite memory uh, in your vocabulary as a cricket fan? I know you are kind of moved ahead. You were more like the Ram Goha, you know, like you enjoy the sport. You don't uh, have favorite memories, but uh, share with us if uh, there are some memories from from the past that stand out, that enhance your uh, you know viewing experience and you can still talk about it and hindsight hasn't really taken away the joy from it. I think Ram Guha example is probably an insult on him, but the only thing I'm not a left-leaning um, economist, that's the only difference I just would like to call it out, <laughs> if I could, on it. Um, in terms of Australia touring India, as I said, right, uh, um, I, I won't get into the games. I'll talk about the things that I experienced and what I felt about the early tours. See, 96, as I said, the, the very funny thing, Jeff Boycott, his pitch report about one of the ugliest surfaces, the, the interesting thing about, even back then, I remember they did a pre-show, a preview show on ESPN uh, before that uh, 96 Ferocia Kotla New Delhi test. Um, I think a lot of people, including Keith Azad, if I'm right, he was there in the studio. He said, a Delhi always produces a draw. So back then, the Indian ambition wasn't that great, right? Uh, they were not saying Australians are coming, we have to win. It's more like, oh, it'll be a draw because Delhi produces, uh, you know, draw sort of thing. But uh, the pitch was... Uh, very dry and, uh, you know, Vaughan wasn't there from there, so that Peter McIntyre and uh, Brad Hogg made his debut. Um, yeah, uh, so India won the test comfortably. Uh, but the other interesting thing is that it's probably the last time an Australian team uh, travelled on a train in India because they played the only tour game uh, in Patan Court um, in, in Punjab. So back then, I don't think Delhi had a direct flight to Patan Court, so the BCC had arranged a very uh, scenic train journey uh, to uh, from Delhi to Patankot. The teams were there. Uh, I think the Australians were a bit grumpy about it because the train was a bit delayed and it wasn't as luxurious as they thought it would be. It was not like uh, going on a train in the Swiss Alps or in, you know, one of those, you know, European, <clears throat> you know, networks, right? Um, I think after that, that became a bit of a, an excuse, if you could say that the train journey jeopardized their plans and stuff because they would have preferred a flight, whatever, whatever. The other interesting thing, which I've discussed a few times on Twitter, uh, probably that's one of the reasons why I met uh, Karthik, uh, uh, elite cynic, was uh, I think there was a that series in which uh, I think uh, both Ian Chapel and uh, Ravi Shastri would get on a, a cycle, bicycle rickshaw. And Sakib uh, posted something on Twitter about rickshaws in old Delhi, right? So they will go through the, the old Delhi uh, on a bicycle rickshaw seated and they'll be, you know, having a bit of a friendly banter about who will do well. Um, they'll, they'll be showing Chandni Chauk, the, the parts of the old Delhi, um, Shahjanabad, etc., etc., right? So, you know, that started a bit of a banter between Ravi Shastri and Chapel. Then when South Africa came next, it was between Trevor Quirk and uh, um, Ravi Shastri, right? So, you know, so the, the TV innovation was there. Um, but then when India came, by the time Australians came back to India in 98, as Sakib said, sorry, Sahil said, it was, you know, I was a, I was in my final year uni, I believe. So, uh, I, I mean, by then, uh, we had a little bit of internet access. 
Um, so I remember Malcolm Korn was there. I think our, our, our university, we had our, uh, we had the internet access. I used to go and check. Um, I think even Mark Ray was there as a, as a columnist, I believe, uh, from Australia. So I used to read some of the Australian newspapers very briefly. We didn't have internet at home. Um, but again, that series was great because a lot of people uh, talk about such a little scored well, but what people don't realize is he scored at almost 80 runs per 100 balls, strike rate. And one of the reasons why Brian Lara was considered the greatest batsman between, say, 94 and 96 was because he used to score quickly, right? If you're the, the greatest batsman, you have to score quickly, you know, score a batch of boundaries. And that's why he was so good to watch. And um, I still believe uh, had Glenn McGrath toured in 98 to India, uh, I'm not saying he would have really struggled, but uh, Sachin Tendulkar would have scored a few runs of him, uh, more than what he's got uh, in his records. Yeah, so, and also, very interestingly, um, Mohammed, I mean, Mark Taylor, uh, who was such a successful captain and who was a very good captain of spinners, because he had quite a few spinners uh, uh, up his sleeves um, uh, for New South Wales, and he learned his captaincy. He mentioned after the tour that uh, it was fascinating to watch um, Azhar, Mohammed Azharuddin, captain uh, the spinners. Um, so we have, India had Anil Kumble, Venkatpati Raju, uh, and others, right? So Harbhajan played in the, the final Bangalore test of uh, 98, which Michael Kasparovich won with a bit of reverse swing. Uh, yeah, so that was a very interesting thing. The other thing I would like to remember is uh, the match presentation. Ian Chappell was the, I think, final Bangalore test. Uh, Peter van der Merwe, the South African former player who was the match referee. So he was giving the Man of the Series award to Sachin Tendulkar. And he said something very funny, saying... Uh, you know, he's getting these uh, runs for 446 odd runs he scored for the series. But even if his form deserts him, uh, he's, he's a very handy leg spinner. He can rely on the leg spin to, uh, to, to keep himself in the side. So it was a very funny wisecrack from the former South African player who was a match referee. Yeah, so, and again, um, the other thing is by 98 or 96, we had grown in awe of the Australian team because uh, we saw a lot of Australian uh, team from Channel 9 over here. And uh, it was a bit of a, a regret that India wasn't touring Australia back then to to play them. Uh, and, and when they came, it was almost like the Beatles visiting or the royalty visiting. It was almost we wanted them to come and do well. And I think I still remember when Mark Waugh and uh, Mark Taylor chased those runs down in the Bangalore test. There was almost a feeling that you know, you wanted Australia to do well. It's one of those strange feelings that like you could call it a Stockholm syndrome, right? Because uh, you started to like them so much when they play against other sides, win those test matches nonchalantly. And you want them to come and do well in India. It was almost like a, you know, it's not like you, you know, th that's a strange feeling, for, at least for me, because a lot of people would say they were arrogant Aussies. They were my second team back then. So I used to support... Um, of course, Pakistan was another, my favorite team, almost my second team. But back then, Australia was really getting to the, you know, after India, the second team to see the, the way they play. The interesting story was 2001, because by 2000, I started to travel a bit to the US for short trips and stuff. So 2001 was an interesting series. By then, internet was fully available. I started to read the Sydney Morning Herald. I didn't know why Sydney Morning Herald and the age used to carry the same articles back then. I didn't realize it was part of the Fairfax subscription uh, publication. And in Melbourne, it was known as The Age and in Sydney. So I didn't know all those differences, but I used to think, you know, why is Peter Roebuck writing the same column 
um, word for word, two different newspapers. But anyway, I think, I think that's what Mark Ray wrote and all those things. You know, Malcolm Korn was now part of the Sydney Morning Herald. He was, I think, back then with, with the Australian uh, newspaper. So very interesting for 2001 for the first time, we started to get audio files, audio recordings and rediff.com, um, which was a very popular website, which I got to know when I was in the US, uh, which is pretty much run by some non-resident Indians in New York. Um, so they used to get these audio interviews. I remember Adam Gilchrist, uh, who was uh, not a vice captain. I still remember this is Adam Gilchrist of the Australian cricket team. And he will give a two minute preview of what was going to come. And in a way you could say, in 2001, the Indian media was in so much awe of the Australians, and they kind of used the Indian media to propagate the myth about how invincible they were, you know, how they were going to, and this was their front, final frontier, and how great they were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they used the media very well, and by then, I think the Indian social media, I think Prem Panikkar used to write for the Rediff, and I think even we got Cricket Next, which used to be run by Sanjay Jha. So this, you know, a bit of sprouting of the websites allowed a lot of these column spaces, but probably we didn't have the number of TV channels back then, but that started to give them a bit of a, an aura about the whole thing. And interestingly, in 2001, I think I mentioned in the 81 All Out podcast earlier, so I was here for the Mumbai test, and by the time the Australians reached to Delhi uh, for the thing, I had to go to the US. So, so I, I landed in the US for a short trip. That means for both the, the Eden Guns and... Uh, uh, the Chennai test, I was going to be away. And what am I going to do? How am I going to watch this series, right? Having watched those two brilliant innings from Sachin Tendulkar at the Wonka Day. Um, so it was a bit of a strange thing. And I, I went to the workplace. And back then, imagine we didn't have laptops. Uh, we were just working on desktops, big desktops. But back in the US in 2001, the internet connection was brilliant in California. But when we went back to our guest houses uh, <clears throat> or the accommodation, <clears throat> corporate accommodation, there was no... <clears throat> internet nor did we carry any 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 laptops so but then i knew because back then channel nine and uh, dude Darshan had partnered so we were getting a little bit of uh, a good coverage you know all the good commentators with so dd-now.com was a website that was getting promoted a bit so i had watched a little bit of the ads so when i went to the us i typed up so very interestingly they had some previews and some videos it kind of gave me a hope but no one told me whether they were going to televise the games live uh, but then I saw a small little you know, placeholder saying this is where the game will be shown. So I missed the day one of the Eden Guns test. I came to work the next morning and I saw it. But by then there were some highlights which was posted on that. Then someone looked at it and said, this is where they're going to televise it live. To give a bit of a context, we were still on an Indian payroll, right? getting paid in Indian rupees. In the US, I think we were paid a, a per diem of 50 bucks, $50 back then, so I keep like in 2001. But we were given accommodation um, cab to work was given shared on a shared basis and then which means the 50 bucks is used for your food expenses and you know telephone and other expenses but at work also used to be served some food but the cab ride used to cost us $16 right so to come and go it's $32 so so me and my another friend of mine so we used to the games to start uh, past midnight in in California so we used to take a cab and come to work that's the only place you come in the middle of the night and uh, you know hope for the best with the dd-now.com from day two it came so probably the first ever you know what we call it streamed test match live in the u.s and i've checked with a few people i don't think any other game was televised live before that so i was part of history having watched this game so can you believe every night coming to work around one o'clock 
to watch it, pretty much watch the whole night, then get back in the morning, sleep for a couple hours, then get in the official cab with other fellow mates, come to work, work for seven hours, go back. That's how I followed uh, the four days of the Eden Gardens. And again, for by the time the Chennai test started, it started on a Sunday. Sunday, we didn't have access to come to the office. So I had to find out a friend who had a desktop at home and, uh, you know, go and find it. But then that was a bad day because his internet connection wasn't as good as the one we had at work, which means it was a lot of buffering and stuff. So the 2001 was great because, you know, I had to make a lot of personal sacrifices uh, to spend up money out of my pocket rather than trying to save as a young boy, or young man, I should say, to watch this cricket, but it was worth watching it. So that's why when I got home a couple of weeks after the, the Chennai test, the first thing I did was bought the DVD. Um, I mean, back then, it was not even a DVD, it was a VCD. Then later on, we got a, I, I still have that um, at my home. So yeah, that was a series that I was watched with a lot of following on online, listening to players, reading the Australian press and, you know, making all sorts of sacrifices in the middle of the night in the US to watch it. So, but boy, that was a great series to watch. I could say that. No, brings back a lot of memories, Vijay. So I was in the States too myself. And I think uh, this was the first test series uh, that was live on Dish Network. We had gotten Dish Network in 99 uh, because the Cricket World Cup was live. And I've talked about this on the last Cricket podcast when they had me as a guest that uh, I had to put a hefty amount as a student on my credit card because that was, because I haven't watched any cricket since I left India in 95. Uh, the Ajay Jadeja uh, you know, taking on Vakar Yunus in the 96 World Cup, we got a VHS tape two or three days after the match uh, and we rented it because that, that's the part where I totally missed cricket, what was happening in India. I had gone to India in 99. Uh, actually, no, I take it back. 99, when I went to India, I saw the series and they came back home. There was Azar's last series. That was also live on Dish Network. So I saw the India-South Africa second test uh, that was uh, broadcast, uh, I think, through Dish Network. I don't know who the source was. But yeah, this 20, 2001 series was like groundbreaking. And I have similar memories watching Late Night with my father and, uh, you know, Dravid and Lakshman or Lakshman and Dravid taking India out of jail. That was just like a match that we talked about years for. So, so Sahil, again, uh, Lakshman is a good entry point here. We can't talk about every player, but, you know, as the old saying, who you score against and what you do and what the context was. So VVS Lakshman became that figure in that part of the decade where a lot of, I have a lot of friends who rate him higher than Rahul Dravid and, you know, and say, you know, because he played against, or he rose to the challenge against the peak team of that era. So at this, is that how you see his, his, uh, his rise in Indian cricket? And again, we can throw the stat book out, but did it matter that much uh, for you as a fan that when he, he, you know, he pretty much raised his hand against the toughest opposition for a, for an extended period. And he was one of the, you know, his, his average speaks volumes. He's done pretty good against Australia in Australia as well. So talk about Lakshman. Like regarding Lakshman, uh, I would definitely say that he got a longer rope in his career because of this, uh, especially the 281 that he uh, scored uh, against Australia. But yeah, if anybody's saying that he's a better batsman than Dravid, then sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, I think Dravid was the overall uh, better batsman than Lakshman uh, could ever be. And also the record speaks for itself. Uh, Lakshman, I think, had five or six centuries against Australia. And I think this is something that is held against Dravid that he didn't score enough runs against Australia. 
uh, in his career, and especially if you take out that uh, two thousand three four series, I think he has had some uh, like poor tours to Australia. Uh, but overall, yes, I think anybody who was looking to do like uh, who was looking to get noticed had to do well against these top teams, and especially as I said previously, also about Sachin that like he he. Uh, kept his best against australia and similarly for lakshman uh in 2000 like when he scored that 167 in sydney i think people noticed him that here is an indian batsman who could score big who could go to australia and score big so that also kind of gave him a long rope and then i mean 2001 completely changed everything for him i would also like to add that even harbhajan if you see his the way his career uh, career shaped up I mean, apart from that 2001 series, I mean, I, I don't want like he was a great bowler, but yeah, there, there aren't many great moments in his career. Like, he was a good bowler, but that was his standout series. I mean, he could never uh, bowl the way he bowled uh, in that 2001 series. So, it was always, I mean, the case that if you do well against Australia, uh, yeah, you will get noticed because uh, if you remember, even about Dravid. uh he was having a tough time with the press uh, and people were calling that he dravid needs to get dropped after the first test at vankhade in 2001 uh because he scored some runs not some runs he scored uh, runs against zimbabwe but prior to that i think he had a very dull period i mean uh, when south africa visited india he didn't score runs and so 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 he was going through a bad patch and then if you remember that celebration that he did after scoring that uh, 100 in eden gardens it was like he was answering his critics uh dravid that see i can score runs against tough opposition no that was sorry sorry sahil that was against ian chapel because ian chapel kept on criticizing him uh for not being able to play shane won well so the, that that whatever the uh, sign was towards ian chapel just letting you know yeah but i think it was also i mean whatever i remember that there was calls for him to get dropped and eventually like uh, like he was brought down to number 6 uh so he had so he was under the pump i mean in that series but after that 180 uh, yeah he could breathe uh, a little easy no definitely that kind of uh, you know change both their career timelines you're right i think david was like his place was questioned if i remember because he wasn't among the runs he would occupy the crease but the runs weren't coming so so again sahil i'll stick with you and then vijay you can come and elaborate you know we we'll also have to talk about some australians here so as an indian fan sahil the rivalry really took on from that series so has your perception changed because i'll give my example like as a boy growing up i absolutely detested the pakistan team so the likes of akram imran miadat salim malik i never liked these guys So what happens when you are young? You don't like someone, so you also dismiss their greatness because you want your team to win. And I wanted Pakistan to lose against Sri Lanka, West Indies, England, everyone. So you know when they were the best team in the in the late eighties, when the Richards and the West Indies were kind of on the decline, it was a very uncomfortable moment for me as a as a young fan. But in hindsight, when you read more and when you kind of take the lens or remove the hat of bias fandom, I kind of realize you know how great these guys were. So do you have any memory with any of the Australians maybe you were a mature fan then you never had any reservations against the Vaughs the Pontings the McGrath the Vaughns is there anyone that uh, you view more kindly as you grew into uh, you know 
uh, a young adult, uh, you know, while, you know, still uh, giving proper due as a fan, but also started viewing them in a different lens. Yeah, so see, as an Indian fan, like, I, I, I never detested any, like, teams or any players, but uh, talking about Australia, I was a big Mark Walk fan. I mean, I just loved the, his stylish batting and the elegance that came with it. So I was, like, always rooting for Mark Walk and then became a huge Shane Vaughan fan, right, over the years. So, like, Shane Vaughan was, like, probably, I mean, I would just pay uh, money to watch Shane Vaughan bowl. So those were two of my, uh, like, biggest heroes in Australian cricket uh, growing up. Uh, but I would say that I always wanted Sachin to do well against Megrath because uh, once you, like, I know there is whole this uh, talk about Sachin versus Megrath, but even back then, I mean, Megrath used to be their main bowler, be it the 99 World Cup or 2003 World Cup. So I somewhere in the back of my mind when I was, like, clearly rooting that Sachin should score some runs against Megrath. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, he came short uh, so many times, but there were moments when he did well also, like in Nairobi or Indore, Bangalore, like he did score run, uh, score runs against Megrath. But yeah, uh, as a fan, I mean, you always, I mean, if you, if you ask me, like as a neutral, I mean, there's always this case where you support, you support the underdog. So if Australia is playing against uh, any other nation i mean i would probably want them to lose and it's also as a kid right you have this these things in mind right like they won the 99 and 2003 world cup so now when i was watching the 2007 world cup i mean i just don't want any team to win it like three times in a row so i was clearly not rooting for australia maybe i was rooting for south africa or even like new zealand or sri lanka can win it but you just so in a way like it's a credit to the team as well right the the ruthlessness with which like uh, Australia used to play. I mean, it's a credit to them that they were invincible almost. Like they lost a World Cup game to Pakistan in '99, and then they lost uh, another game to Pakistan in 2011. Like, which is crazy. I mean, that kind of a record. I don't think any team can beat that kind of a record in any. Uh, you try to think of any other sport as well. I mean, that's some kind of domination. So you always like I always rooted for the underdog, but yeah. I mean, I appreciate, like, used to like, like, always used to get up in the morning, watch the Australia test matches. Uh, that was always there. So, so no dislike or uh, hate against any, yeah, Australians. Okay. So, Vijay, well, the floor is yours. I mean, um, do you think anyone in your time as a fan, and we can we can go back into the late 90s and early 2000s, you think, uh, and you, you can't speak for everyone, but in your ecosystem, or fellow f- uh, fans from India, you think, is there any revision needed? Of course, fandom is blind and you root for your own team and, you know, there are no rules. That's how it works. But, you know, when you start analyzing the sport and start reading old articles, start looking at old data, you think, is there anyone that uh, uh, we need to revise our views coming uh, from the Aussie camp? <laughs> yeah, I think my, I mean, Sahil gave, gave us some very good points about, like, you know, how the Australian cricket team grew on a lot of, actual cricket fans who watched a lot of non-India test matches, right? Because every morning or morning during the summer holidays in Australia or winter time in India, or there was never a winter in Tamil Nadu. That's a different story. Where it was in the 90s, we saw the Australians play cricket. I mean, the big fandom was Ian Healy at the, as a keeper, Mark Taylor in the first slip, Mark Waugh, and then Shane Warne was the biggest star. And then McGrath came a little later, right? 
So the Australian team was a very attractive side to watch. Even they had players like Greg Blewett, Ricky Ponting, and you know, you know, Gillespie. So I mean, it was a very attractive side to watch. And I was a bit of a a one-eyed Australian fan because I still, I, mean, I would like to believe that I got my shake of the head from Glenn McGrath, the, the double teapot, you know, hands on the hips, and I still do it very similar to him because it was pretty much copied from him. So. So they were the, the kind of people who were at an impressionable age, made the right impression. Um, and then, I mean, for me, again, as I said, Pakistan and Australia were my second teams, literally, right? Like, you know, in terms of quality, in terms of how they would like to play, et cetera. But I think my first break came uh, probably in 2003. Uh, again, right, interaction, right? For me, uh, uh, the BBC Test Match special message board and then, so I got to know a lot of English fans and uh, the internet helped me to open up, right? So when I started to interact with global fans, then I realized why there was a bit of a dislike for the Australian cricket team, which you didn't see because you watched them play well and you enjoyed them. You looked at the game as a game. Probably we didn't have the access to the tabloid press they had back in the UK about some of the Shane ones off the field behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, I think some of my, um, if you could say, innocence of looking at the Australian cricket team, just look at the screen and watch it, just watch the game. Probably that is a bit tempered with by some of the English points of view. I had lots of friends uh, from the UK online. So that kind of gave me a bit of a perspective. Probably then I start to read more of the, the British views, like the Guardian, the BBC, the Telegraph and the Times. Uh, so then, you know, my views of not just listening to what the Channel 9 commentary team uh, said about these players versus what you hear, then you start to have a bit of a balanced view. Um, so, you know, sledging was fun, but then by the time 2003 happened and the McGrath Sarvan thing happened, like you kind of realized that was a bit inappropriate, right? Uh, so, yeah, I would say um, my, it's very interesting. I mean, it's not from your question, but uh, I grew up in an India where England were considered almost the 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 anathema because of uh, you know, the Sunil Gavaskas and a bit of Harsha Though at my home, my parents both were sort of pro-English. That kind of, that was probably one of the reasons why I started to support Australian cricket and Germany football. But to give a broader perspective, I never had a big dislike, but I liked Australia more than England. But that kind of started to change a little bit more from 2003 to seven when I started to gravitate more towards England. Maybe I started to appreciate uh, some of the English things and stuff, etc. So my views became a little more balanced. And by the time, you know, the Ponting-Peterson saga took place in 2010-11 um, at the MCG test, and I felt that's not on when he was literally arguing with Dampaya Limdar. Um, regarding players, um, I think uh, I think sometimes uh, in India, some people, I think Gilchrist, Adam Gilchrist, um, I think in my opinion, uh, he's a bit like Rahul Dravid, right? He... He gets a bit too much praise than what he deserves in terms of his actions, right? Gilchrist, in his own right, is a great, great player, right? Uh, probably changed the way uh, the wicketkeeping uh, was perceived as a profession because his batting was such a superlative thing that made captains go for him. I mean, we could very well choose <clears throat> uh, Don Talon as an all-time 11, or we could go for Ian Healy, but you know, Gilchrist and his runs became very crucial. Uh, but he, you know, he was he was a bit of a darling of the Indian media because he supported that uh, charity in or the orphanage in Mumbai, and you know he said the right things, and he came across as the guy like you know you would like to 
uh, you know, let your sister go out with kind of a stuff. But I think more I looked at it, I mean, I realized one thing during the 2001 tour where Adam Gilchrist was openly taunting the Indian captain Saurav Ganguly because there was an alleged affair that was happening between Saurav Ganguly and uh, uh, the movie star Nagma, right? They went to the Tirupati temple and stuff. Look, there was a fair bit of that in the tabloid press and everyone knew about it. But Gilchrist, whenever he came to the press conference, you know, started to say things, where is Nagma kind of thing. Now, if he says it's just a joke, but the problem with Gilchrist is he's a bit of a hypocrite, right? When he had that issue with you know, Michael Slater's um, and his wife with those alleged you know, things that were said, he was very upset and he was cried at the Wanderers when he scored the double hundred. He took it very personally that media should not talk about his personal life. I respect that, but Gilchrist's hypocrisy is when it came to Saurav Ganguly when he was down and he was under the heat uh, from the press, he didn't mind calling out an alleged uh, you know, mistress name in public. So, I mean, I lost a fair bit of respect for Gilchrist after that. And even in the commentary box, I don't see a lot of him. I mean, you know, he doesn't say much than, I mean, much more than the bleeding obvious. So I think that's one thing, like, you know, I respect him as a player, but I wouldn't like to give him the sainthood that people would like to give him, you know, for his conduct and stuff. Maybe me being a Shane Warne fan has also made me dislike him a bit because of some of the things he did to Warne as well, right? You know, you know, Gilchrist and Warren never had the best of relationships. So those are some of the buses. But if you if you ask me broadly, Australian cricket as an institution has done a lot of fantastic things from media broadcasting. The other thing is Channel 9, right? So we had this great view of Channel 9 as a, as a, as a product, uh, Australian product from outside. But when you come to this country, when you start to talk to people and how they were not even popular, even in the 80s, when people used to listen to ABC, even at home, they used to mute Channel 9 and listen to ABC. Then you realize why radio commentary can be superior to even Channel 9, though they brought in so much uh, innovation and stuff and stuff. So yeah, you're right. Our views change and we evolve as fans uh, about everything. Uh, I wouldn't blindly support Australia as I used to in the 90s, though I live here. And I go to a cricket ground, if it's an Australian-India game, I sing both anthems very proudly, um, Australian-India. Then when I go to other games, I sing the Australian anthem. So uh, I'm an Australian. Uh, I'm, I support Australia pretty much against uh, everyone except uh, India. Uh, but my views have become a bit more nuanced. Uh, there's not a lot of jingoism. Uh, of course, um, I love the history of Australian cricket and all those things, and I appreciate the finer arts and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the views have become a little more uh, nuanced, I would say. And also, as I said, uh, uh, because of that, uh, you know, the the ashes thing has also become better for me in terms of being more balanced. Uh, the the only other thing to Sahil's point about McGrath, right? McGrath was such a, a menace for any opponent, right? I think about Sachin Tendulkar and McGrath, one thing I'd like to add is, I think Karthik Elite Cynic has made this 88 for six as a very popular thing against Sachin Tendulkar because in Test Match Cricket, uh, Tendulkar scored 88 runs off McGrath and has been dismissed six times. So uh, so basically, he scored only 88 runs against him in tests. Uh, and getting out for six times, that means not a great average, right? Uh, but I think uh, I think that's a very good stat. Uh, but I think we need to read it in a couple of ways because the first test in Delhi, where he got out to Peter McIntyre, he didn't face him. Second innings, yeah, it was a 50-odd run chase. He came in when he was 32 for two. He got bowled for duck. Yeah, it happens. One dismissal short chase. Then there's another last test he played was in Nagpur, the, the infamous 2004 Nagpur test, where the pitch was made by the Vidarbha Cricket Association to suit or to, to beat the Indians at their own turf. 
and he was not fully fit and he still played and uh, he got out of McGrath in the second innings. So if you take the Delhi in uh, 96 and Nagpur 2004, you got just two series. Uh, 99-2000 in Australia, uh, three tests, and then uh, 2001 in India. So he scored 100 in both the test series, the MCG 100, 122, then played a couple of pull shots against uh, McGrath for 45 before he got a marginal decision at the SCG. Um, and then in India, 2001, he played a brilliant innings of 76 and 65, the one carry double failure at Eden Guns. Probably McGrath got the measure of him by bringing the ball in and got him trapped. And he scored the brilliant 126 at uh, the Major Dumbrum Stadium in Chennai. So you could say that in six test matches, uh, 200s, um, three or four 50s is a decent record, right? But Karthik or Elite Sinek would argue that he scored only 88. But yeah, but in an attack that included McGrath, he scored at 45 plus average in two tests, two series, six tests. I think this, that's a decent record. If he wanted to play out McGrath, that's his call. I mean, maybe if you come to a very, very, the highest echelon of comparison between Brian Lara and Chandrika, two great players, Lara scored more runs of McGrath. He got out to him more times, but he took him on. Do you give extra points for Lara? Maybe. But maybe Sachin thought maybe I could play him out and I could score runs of others. So, yeah, I mean, 88 for six watt, Elite Cynic and others say that's a factual information, but it's all about how you read it to interpret it. But again, uh, to Sahil's point, I think where, what sticks out is the 99 World Cup, 2003 World Cup, though he hit McGrath for a few runs in the 96 World Cup, bilateral, not bilateral group game. I think some of those crucial dismissals in the one day tournaments that stick out, I mean, that kind of. Uh, sticks out like a sore thumb for a lot of uh, Sachin Tendulkar fans. So, yeah, that's the overall point on that, Sakib. All right. So, yeah, uh, we have. Yeah, and just yes. want to add, like, yeah, just want to add on to what Vijay said. I mean, he made a very interesting point that, that there are so many ways uh, that you can look at a record, right? That 88 runs, and I have seen that, <laughs> I think, uh, from uh, Karthik. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a way of looking. Uh, at a player's record, but as he said, right, uh, as, as Vijay said, that he scored two centuries, right, in Chennai and in Melbourne when McGrath was in the attack. So, probably you, I wouldn't say that he was just struggling against McGrath, right? He did score, I mean, it was not as if he didn't score any runs when McGrath was playing or he just used to, he was his bunny, as we call some players. So, 99-2000 uh, was a strange series for India, I mean. If you look at that batting lineup, nobody was scoring runs. And uh, Vijay mentioned that 45, that is probably one of my favorite innings. But he he probably felt that he could take on McGrath. And yes, he, he didn't uh, succeed. He got a marginal decision. Uh, so there are so many things, there are so many ways you can argue uh, with that record. But that doesn't make Sachin a lesser batsman, I would say. Like, if we use that argument that, record, especially just the number of balls that he has played against McGrath and the number of runs he has scored. Uh, that, I think, is an unfair uh, assessment on Sachin, is what I would say. Yes, yeah, so on that, that 45 day CG, uh, 99-2000, right, 2000 January test match. So what happened is a bit of a context to it, right? So um, he scored 61 and not uh, at the Adelaide Oval. 61 was a little bit of a bad decision against Vaughan. Not was that shoulder before wicket in the second innings of the Adelaide. Then he scored at 122. So what happened? They were bowling a few bounces and he was ducking and uh, he hooked a few times or pulled a few times of Fleming and finally got out uh, um, uh, to a, a Fleming bouncer, right? Yeah. Uh, so the Australians felt 
uh, though he scored really well and they were, I mean, what they were doing they were giving singles because they rightly said the others were really struggling everyone else was struggling and Lee's debut so he was pretty sharp and quick so they were just giving him a single and made him go to the other end and so he's facing the heat but he was still playing really well and scored a brilliant innings but they're still in cinema with Chirpy saying oh you should have played a few more uh, pull or hook shots as so a McGraw went to the press after that um, 99-2000 boxing data and saying, can you take me on when I bowl bounces? It's, there's no point in being the greatest batsman in the world when you don't take me on. So he openly challenged uh, Sachin Tendulkar and said, I'm going to bounce you out. So that is a context. Uh, and then um, India batted first on a pitch which had a little bit of grass and uh, the ball was doing a little bit. And then McGraw bowled those bounces and he took 14 runs of that uh, over. Who knows if that decision uh, didn't go against him, he might have scored a big one there, but it's one of those things, right? So, yeah, like, so that is 14 runs he took off uh, McGrath and then the Zimbabwean umpire raised his uh, finger, as that's what the scoreboard says. All right, so I think uh, we are already into some uncomfortable territory, which is good, because sometimes, you know, the disagreements have to be part of a discussion like this. So, Vijay, you brought up... uh, Rahul Dravid and the Nagpur test. I know there's a Twitter thread going on, but we we had a little chat before we were going to record this podcast that that might come up. So, and Matthew Hayden has his own account. So I'll give you both the floor uh, with the narratives, you know, that uh, still exist. You know, it's from 18, 19 years ago, but uh, Dravid went for the toss. Ganguly didn't play the test match. But Vijay, with your recollections of events and uh, some anecdotes, I'm sure you can back it up that there is more than that meets the eye. And then Sahil, you can weigh in on that as well. So, for, yeah, thanks, Sakib. I mean, first of all, that's a very pivotal test match. The context is 2004, uh, Australia won convincingly in Bangalore. There was no Sachin Tendulkar. And then the, the Chennai test uh, was going India's way after Anil Kumble's uh, brilliant spell. Uh, and the Virendra Sivak scored a brilliant 155. But then, then Damien Martin and Gillespie had that uh, big partnership that kind of defied the the odds and then India had to chase that target in the fourth innings of in the on the fifth day five. Uh look, Virendra Sevak scored three ominous boundaries and looked good on twelve not out, I believe. Um in my opinion, still Warren and McGrath would have made it really tough for India because they were the two difficult bowlers to face, but India would have fancied their chances as well, right? Uh, still there was no Tendulkar. So India was still going um zero one down. But interestingly, the Australian cricket board back then had really, really planned it very well. Um, after two test matches, there was a week's break. A week's break, which means Gilchrist went to Singapore to see his newborn baby that the baby had flown in. Uh, because back then, you know, you wouldn't bring a newborn baby to India for the water and stuff. So his wife, Mel, brought the baby to Singapore. He went there. Mark Waugh and a few others went to Kerala, if I'm right. Steve Owens, uh, Steve didn't play, right? Sorry. Um, I mean, Merv Hughes was there with the touring party. They went somewhere. So they all had a, a small holiday before they all went to Nagpur. But by then, something started to brew in Nagpur. But to give a bit of a context, there was a time there was a very, very bitterly contested BCCI board election happened. You know, back then, they had 27 associations. Everyone had to vote. And Jagmog and Dalmia was clinging on his dear life for a support while... But there's a bit of another faction uh, happening in the heart of uh, central India, which was Nagpur Vidarbha Cricket Association. Um, our gentleman, uh, Shashank Manohar, uh, was a little bit part of that, you know, later on, Nasharat Pawar, who's from Maharashtra, right? 
So Shashank Manohar and Jagmohan Dalmer didn't see eye to eye. And when India, uh, the third test was allocated to Nagpur, very interestingly, a few days before the test match, he made a statement, which if, if he had made it now as a Vidarbha cricket, imagine the current Vidarbha Cricket Association president saying, I'm not going to prepare a turning wicket. I'm going to prepare a wicket, which is going to be, you know, fast, bouncy with a lot of grass. I want to test out both the teams. Imagine if it said that, you know, Rohit Sharma would have gone and choked his, you know, throat or Ashwin would have come on his YouTube channel and would have said a few things that would have been unprintable. The current Indian team wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken it lying down. So that's the context. So what this, uh, back to 2004, what uh, Shashank Manoga said a couple of days before the test matches, the first two pitches in Bangalore and Chennai were not good wickets. They were poor wickets. They uh, aided a lot of spin. I don't want the test match in Nagpur uh, to happen on a similar pitch. So I'm going to, this relayed wicket will have a lot of life. It'll be a good wicket. I want to see the best team win. He said in so many words. And then his uh, curator, Kishore Pradhan, uh, was instructed to prepare a wicket like that. So a couple of days before, we started to get a bit of vibes because the teams went there a couple of days before. The curator said he would not meet with John Wright or Saro Ganguly. Shashank Manohar, he clearly made it very clear. He wouldn't uh, meet. The local officials refused to meet the Indian team. So basically, the Indian team felt they were at an alien territory in the heart of Nagpur. Uh, while the local cricket association members said, you know, we are doing a job, stay out of it kind of thing. That's a context. But then one could see the bit of, ba- I mean, Saro Ganguly being an influential person. He got out of Shashank Manohar or the curator tried to tell them. And he said, no, I can't shave off the graph. This is the pitch. You know, you know, that's how. So we, we, all these things, we started to get it reported. Uh, so there's a lot of suspicion whether the pitch is going to remain, what's going to remain like that, or they, were they going to shave off the grass, et cetera, et cetera. When the Australians looked at it, they were in for a pleasant surprise to see a bit of grass and stuff. Anyway, so that was a controversy. And finally, as everyone knows, infamously, on the morning, uh, Sarah Ganguly was declared unfit and Harbhajan had a flu. Now, there is a bit of a chirp were they injured, whether they pulled out, whatever, whatever. I think then the biggest surprise was Raul Dravid and uh, Gilchrist walked out for the toss with their blazers on. So, you know, you get to the toss, um, uh, the pitch report and the toss after the toss, uh, I think Dean Jones was there, if I'm right. I think Dean Jones was the one who did the toss report. So while they're walking from both of them, come and they shake hands and they walk, right? So Gilchrist had asked him, Raul Dravid, where's Sarah? Right? It's a very standard question. So let me give you a bit of a context, right? My boss and I work extremely hard for 10 days to go to a meeting, prepare, work our backsides off. I have five slides to present. My boss has got five slides to present. The day before, the night before the, the meeting, he rings me up and says, so Vijay, I'm not feeling well about the presentation. I, I could have done better. Guess what? You have to go and present. Um, I'm not coming in. If he had said that, I would be absolutely annoyed because I'm preparing my backside off of these five slides and you know, I need to do 10 slides tomorrow and I need to front up the client as an individual. I'll be sick, but what to do? So if I go to the client meeting the following day and I walk in the client asks, hey, where's your boss? I have to come up with a reason, right? Whether I like my boss, whether I like him or not, I have to say, sorry, his wife is not well. He had a fall or he met with an accident. I had to come up with some story to make him make them believe that the boss is away for a, a genuinely legitimate reason and I had to present in front up and come back. It's a context. So when back to 2004 Nagpur, when Kilchrist had asked Raul Dravid, where, where is Sarah? 
Rahul Dravid, there are many versions. Rahul Dravid, there's one popular version that Rahul Dravid couldn't answer it properly and struggled a bit. And therefore, Gilchrist made an assumption that he was struggling. There was another version that he was pit non-committal. He didn't answer it. The third ver- version was allegedly he said, I don't know. Right? Again, that was not recorded. That was not televised. So if Rahul Dravid had allegedly said, I don't know to that question, that's not proper. Whatever the differences in the dressing room, yes, what Ganguly did was not right. Whether the Greenwich or not, he should not have pulled out. As a captain, he 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 relinquished or he uh, he literally relinquishes the duty as a captain, right? So he 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 left the ship, right? Um, when the ship was drowning, but Raul David wouldn't have been, but he probably been prepared to be the captain. But if he had allegedly said, "I don't know." To me, that's treasonous. You don't sell your country or a captain down in front of an opponent. If he had said that, that's a problem. But it doesn't matter, right? Whatever he said, didn't say, again, allegedly said, again, there's no evidence. Gilchrist wrote in his book saying that, he, he wrote in a very interesting way, saying that he couldn't answer it properly. So I read between the lines that something was not right. Then what happened in the test match already? India's struggling. The pitch is not to the liking. Irfan Patan is injured. Sachin Tendulkar is back, but he's not fully recovered. He's still struggling. And Gilchrist wouldn't, would, wouldn't stop yapping it away. You know, your captain can't tell where your former captain is or your current captain is running away and the current captain is not happy. So, you know, the Aussies are masters of, like, you know, uh, these mind games. Right? So the whole test match, they sledged the Indians out, you know, mercilessly. And the Indian team surrendered meekly. And again, I would like to call out the fact, again, right? Whatever Rahul Dravid said, maybe Rahul Dravid was under tremendous pressure. He was not very happy. But in my opinion, at that level, by then he had played for eight, nine years for the country and he had been a captain before. He should have handled it better. Again, right? Um, well, I don't, people would call me a hypocrite because I've questioned Sachin Tendulkar for his perjury in Australia, SCG 2007-8. When I say perjury, everyone knows Harbhajan Singh called Simon's a monkey, but Sachin Tendulkar had to defend him for the sake of his team. Uh, Mano, uh, sorry, not Manohar sorry. Uh, Mahindra Singh Dhoni uh, had to call Mayapan um, as an enthusiast, uh, you know, under the oath, which can be called as perjury when everyone knows he was not. So there are times when these people have defended their mates or organizations. I'm not saying because I question Dhoni and Tendulkar to be consistent, you could argue that Rahul Dravid should have defended his. Uh, captain. Maybe he did. Maybe Gilchrist didn't interpret it right. Or maybe Gilchrist is lying. I don't know, right? So we don't know what the exact version. But uh, there was a bit of a controversy that was very, very well used by the Australian team uh, to mentally disintegrate India. So in a way, a lot of people say that Ganguly was a bit of a coward to run away. Harbhajan Singh was a bit of a coward. Let's put it this way, right? In 2021, a much stronger Indian team, when they played in Chennai, they produced uh, against England, they produced a standard wicket, which was, you know, bat first, score runs, and return from day three. That's how test match pitches used to be in India in the 70s, 80s, 60s, and all, till Ajit Wadekar and Azaruddin fixed a bit for 90s. And now the current Indian team would like the ball to turn from day one. There's nothing wrong having home advantage. But when that pitch is produced, when England, Root got a double hundred and England won, Virat Kohli was so fuming, and he made such a song and dance, and uh, the curator had to doctor the wicket for the second test. And we know what happened in Ahmedabad as well. Similarly, when South Africa came here in 2015, 
the one k day one day game where you know they got they got 400 ravi shastri went to the one k day groundsman and gave him a dressing down as a coach saying you can't produce pitches like that so if any of these current indian modern fans saying that oh the current indian team doesn't complain about the pitches you know i have a bridge to sell them they are lying virat kohli and ravi shastri are two of the biggest wingers on pitches it's just that they come out and say that they don't complain but they do complain all the time right so i i can't stand for the hypocrisy but there is nothing wrong in complaining about a home pitch because you play at home you want that to be for an advantage so some of these modern virat kohli and you know ravi shastri fanboys telling that saurav ganguly was a coward it's not factually true in summary ganguly should have never ever pulled out of a test match doesn't matter what the situation was he should have fronted up as a as a as a captain he didn't but in my opinion rahul dravid could have handled the situation better at the toss maybe he was too tense i don't know Uh, but then again, Shashank Manohar and uh, the Vidarbha Cricket Association playing the silly game of preparing a pitch and telling that the first two Test matches were on, you know, turning tracks were not good wickets. That was not good. I mean, many ways you could say Australia were a bit fortunate to get the pitch they got in Nagpur. The only disappointing thing is I have a lot of respect for Kartikeya Date cricketing view. You know, though I might not agree with his surmises. I think he has recently started to say something like the Nagpur pitch was not green. To be honest with you, that's 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 not factually correct. Either Kartikeya Data hasn't watched the game, which I doubt it, which I I don't think so. If he had watched the game, if he's still saying that, then I would say that it's a point for him to you know he's got an axe to grind. Unfortunately, otherwise he's a very very knowledgeable cricket fan. So if anyone says Nagpur wasn't a green track, that's not true. Uh, Ganguly should have never pulled out. Could Rahul Dravid have handled the toss bit better? maybe yes that's my view that's my whole recollection of 2004 nagpur sakib it was not a short answer unfortunately yes i uh, before i give you the floor i you know you can respond but i think vijay you made some very uh, valid points but uh, i would like to uh, just uh, reconsider you know your assessment because at one point you said uh, you know if uh, you know ganguly abandoned the ship so once you abandon the crew you know the team wanted their best combination and you're right uh, so could dravid have handled better i totally agree with you but at the same time if you lost respect again now we are in speculating right maybe the team was divided team didn't want the captain to step away because when the others are suited to play no matter what the pitch you better you better lace up so i think uh, not not here to defend dravid maybe i sound like a dravid apologist but i think uh, it is a bit contradicting right uh, how do you when the initial code is broken why do you go look good to the presser or to the opponent of course the opponent is too skilled and too uh, nuanced and they will exploit that but i think uh, this is the a disagreement i have but i will give the floor to sahil uh, how uh, he sees the narcotics and as i keep one thing right i gave the example of a corporate workplace right doesn't matter how much disagreement i have with my boss pulling at the last moment if i were to go and tell the client that i didn't know where he was i would be fired i would i would be deserved to get fired for having dobbed my boss in no but at, at the same works. time no you're right no, that, no hold on sakib there are no ifs and buts rahul dravid when he wore the jersey he's supposed to defend his team like kevin peterson wrote text messages to his opponents are we going to defend that as well no we can't right so again as i said there is no audio evidence of rahul dravid having said i don't know right so let's give him the benefit of the doubt but if he had allegedly said i don't know to me no if said but that's treasonous whether you like the captain whether you don't like the captain whether you have a disagreement or not you go and talk bad about your own team to the opponent it's not something that that's acceptable in any field sporting or otherwise so if rahul dravid 
if he had hesitated, if he was hesitant and Gilchrist, you know, read between the lines, then I would give Rahul Dravid the benefit of the doubt. But if he had allegedly said, I don't know, I don't think there's any ground to defend Rahul Dravid, then he had thrown his country under the bus. That's the way I would like to look at it, in whichever way I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, um, but again, so, uh, okay, one more, one more minute. I mean, I usually, you know, don't get into this, but I think I, I may be wrong here, but I'm going to, you know, let it flow. But, uh, you know, a lot of time the cliches and anecdotes that everyone uses, we go to battle with the men and, you know, these guys will climb the mountains for you. So if, you know, you abandoned that code of brotherhood, you left your team hanging dry because of personal grudge against the Vidarbha board or the selectors or whoever the curators were, you are only abandoning your crew, your guys, you know, and that point. Uh, treason is a very heavy charge against David. Could he have handled better? Absolutely. But if you have violated the inner code when you're going to battle, when there's a series online, again, I'm not comparing it to corporate, but a lot of time teams are compared to like wars and, you know, like over the top cliches. Then I think it's a little it's a bit of a fair game. And it was supposed to be between Gilchrist and uh, David. So sometimes you just l- let it slip. Was it a weak moment? Absolutely. But uh, there is no way it's worse than what Ganguly did, in my view. But Sahil, you can go here. And also, I think if you look at it from like Dravid's perspective also, I mean, as Vijay said, right, it's alleged. We never know. And I think uh, Tim Payne sledged uh, Ashwin, right? Your teammates don't like you. Now, I mean, you can always uh, use that against Ashwin and say that he's not a likable person, but there's no way you can say that uh, because there are a lot of times when he's... Uh, I mean, there is no concrete way to say that uh, Ashwin is not like his teammates, right? It's, it's just Tim... Pain's way of uh, riding up Ashwin. Similarly, when we are taking Gilchrist's word or even Matthew Hayden's word, right? When they said it in their autobiography and when Gilchrist is using it to sledge uh, the Indian team during the test match, I mean, it's their way because, see, everybody knows what's planning, uh, what's happening uh, behind the scenes, right? That uh, Saurav Ganguly uh, in the press said that he wanted certain kind of a pitch and he didn't get that pitch, but that's how it is. So, I am just trying to say that you you are taking Gilchrist's word uh, as the gospel truth, which is not true, right? We don't know because Dravid hasn't said uh, anything that uh, whether that was true or uh, whether uh, he said, I don't know, or whether he mumbled or he didn't give a definitive answer. So whatever, it's like Gilchrist's word against everybody's uh, uh, word. So in that way, I think we have to give the benefit of doubt to Rahul Dravid there. And in all this fiasco, uh, when we say that Ganguly deserted the ship, he also took out, uh, he took away Harbhajan Singh, right? Harbhajan Singh also said that he had for food poisoning and he didn't take no, the I mean, test so, 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 le, le, No, no, hold on. Let's put it this way. Right? Ganguly deserted the ship, ship. I agree. Now, we can't say that Harbhajan was dragged along with it. Right? We could we could give the benefit of the doubt saying Harbhajan took his own personal decision as an independent adult, right? So, yeah, we could put it that way. Because there's yeah, no yeah, guarantee. But, but again, so see, if you're... Like, if you're going that route and you're alleging uh, Dravid on that, I mean, I would like to allege uh, Ganguly as well that he took out. Because, see, it's it's common knowledge, right? That Harbhajan is a Ganguly faithful. I mean, he he say, like, Harbhajan, uh, Hirwani uh, says that in the 2001 series uh, against Australia, that famous series, uh, he was uh, basically promised that he will play. But uh, Ganguly played Harbhajan... Uh, instead of Hirwani. So, I mean, there are so many things, that, there is so many conjectures that you can make uh, in the th- in the things that people say. So, is Hirwani lying when he says that uh, Ganguly promised no, him and then he no, didn't no, play? I, I, I mean, no, I don't know, true. right? No, Sahil, that's true. See, there was a lot of speculation about 
Narendra Hirwani being the like-for-like -like replacement because when Anil Kumble was gone, they were talking about a leg spinner being a like-for-like -like replacement. The only thing was Hirwani was five years older than what he was in England, 96, where he was not effective. Then they had this big uh, spin bowling camp in Chennai with you know 10 days uh, with all the 10 best spinners in the country were there. So even Sarandeep Singh was ahead of Harbhajan. Right? These were these were reported every day in the press and John Wright has written in the book and other things, right? So Anil Kumble with his, you know, um, the shoulder strapped, uh, he was there along with uh, John Wright and Saro Ganguly, he was helping with all of that. And that was a moment when Sarandi was ahead, but then they saw Harbhajan Singh and uh, Ganguly was excited. He went to these two and said, look at the bounce he's getting. And then John Wright and Anil Kumble, they all saw the bounce he was getting with his whippy action and uh, his, uh, his uh, what do we say, uh, persona. Then they just put a small little white box in the pitch and said, pitch it on there. And he did that nine or eight times. So Hirwani's statement is correct. Even Hirwani and Sarandeep were ahead. But excuse me, when they actually chose in that camp and in front of Anil Kumble and this, they picked Harbhajan and you had to give them credit because he picked 32 wickets. So yeah, Hirwani was right. The process was followed and they saw something in him which they went with it. So, no, no, so that's a background that's a, that's on that. That's a hindsight view, right? That's a hindsight view that you took 32 wickets. I mean, see, that is a hindsight view with Rohit Sharma as well, right? That when once he started opening, nobody knew like whether he will succeed or not. But I think uh, the team management went out of the way to accommodate uh, Rohit Sharma as an opener, right? There were so many people who were scoring runs in first-class cricket. So in hindsight, you can say that now Rohit has succeeded. So that's like a great move. But what I'm saying is from Hirwani's perspective, he says that he was promised that he will play, but he didn't play, right? So who, who do you trust more, right? Do you trust Kangal? No, no, I said, no, I said no, no, hold on, hold on. Hirwani, I, I didn't contradict you, Sahil. Hirwani was promised, was an open secret. Everyone knew about it. But then when they had a camp for that series to pick a spinner, Anil Kumble, John Wright and Sunil, uh, sorry, uh, Saurav Ganguly, that had Hirwani as well. They had 10 people bowling, including Hirwani, and they chose Harbhajan based on what they saw. So you are right. Hirwani was promised. And then they saw evidence to the contrary in the camp and they chose Harbhajan even ahead of Sarandeep. I'm just telling you. So Hirwani, no. what he's saying is correct. Something changed in the camp, which is well documented. That's all I'm no, saying. No, no, no. But no, no, no. But I don't agree that it's Anil Kumble and John Wright and everybody agreed and then, Hirwa then Harbhajan was chosen. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I would like Peck to disagree on that that uh, it was completely Saurav Ganguly's decision to play Harbhajan Singh. And it was not like, I, I mean, yes, you, you can challenge me on that. No, no, but sorry, sorry, I no, would like to believe that was, Anil no, Kumble a... made a decision that, okay, no, 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 wait, wait. Play. no, no, yeah. hold on. There was a net session where he saw he got excited. He came to these two and said, I am very, very interested to see what you think of this guy who I think is bowling well. And John Wright said, oh, he looks very different to what I saw in New Zealand in 98, where he played in one test match, right? Then they made him bowl with a little, small little chalk on that pitch. And Harbhajan apparently bowled 9 out of 10 or whatever, right? So they had, you know, like what they have as a process, they had a, a template to do it. And he did well. So what I'm trying to say is they promised Sirwani. Then they saw something different in this bowler during the camp. Of course, Ganguly saw with a glint in his eyes. He went and told these two people. Three of them looked at it. And of course, Ganguly made the decision. But Hirwani was also part of the 10. I'm just saying it was a fair process. Of course, Hirwani could say that I was promised, therefore I should have got it. But this pro, this 10, 10 bowler uh, camp changed it. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not contradicting you. I'm just saying that all happened. So it was yep, Hirwani yep. was promised, then something changed.
Okay, so yeah. guys, I'm going to use my moderating power. Now, this is a great discussion, and I think it's ample way to end it because we are kind of lo- leaving little food for thought. And you both draw a good Twitter audience, so people who listen to it will chime a dime, dime in opinion. So that's what we want. And we can always bring this conversation back. But as a concluding part, I would say, Sahil, in all fairness, Vijay did use the word alleged. But in your response, you're also right. If you're going to give the alleged benefit of doubt, against Rahul Dravid, then we can also do the same for Saurav Ganguly and Harbhajan and captains in subcontinent, especially with Imran, Dhoni, Ganguly. You know, we know there is like a heavy, uh, you know, allegiance, you know, with certain players because they always had their camps. That's not new to cricket and probably will continue to stay this. And I don't want to be rude. I think this is a great way to end this. I'll give you both one minute each uh, because I don't use the mute mute button, but I uh, I think we have ample food for thought for whoever's going to tune in. But I think this is a great way to disagree and end this year. But uh, one minute each to both of you, and then we can wrap it up. Vijay, you can go first. So I think, as I said, the Australia-India rivalry has really, really grown well. Um, it was not the most popular rivalry, or not even the top three in the 80s or 90s. So it's great that uh, uh, they've got this border Gavaskar trophy uh, christened. And then, you know, it's kind of the rivalry has developed. Uh, credit to both the teams. And it's good. And as Sahil Sakib, you rightly said, the financial muscle has also made sure this rivalry will outlast a lot of other rivalries because Frank Worrell was great till the West Indies cricket was great until the Australians uh, went over there and uh, won in the Caribbean. Uh, Australia, South Africa was great. But again, you know, once South Africa, you know, Australians were dominating in the 90s and early 90s. And then after after Australia's you know fall from the grace into the, not fall from the grace you know once they had a bit of transition then Graham Smith and Co uh, won three consecutive series in Australia so that became a bit of a good rivalry but I think the border Gavaskar rivalry is here to stay because uh, though Ashes is considered by many to be the greater rivalry when India tours Australia Australian cricket board or cricket Australia gets more money than when England tours over here. Similarly, when Australia travels to India, they also get a lot of benefits, not just uh, tour money, you know, IPL scouts and stuff. So I think the cricket economy is very different and therefore the Australia-India rivalry and also India-England rivalry will will continue to remain strong as long as Indian cricket remains strong. Even when if Indian cricket doesn't remain strong, if the team goes to a trough, I still believe the financial muscle and pull will ensure there are more five test series uh, on both sides of uh, the Indian Ocean, if you could say that. So I think this rivalry is here to stay. Uh, let's hope uh, they write more books. Let's hope they release more DVDs. Let's hope um, they there are more documented chroniclers, chronicles coming out of it. I think the Nagpur 2004 itself deserves a separate book. Uh, Nagpur 2000 itself, the toss and the pitch and the whole, uh, whole thing. I hope BCCI allows some of the journalists to write some of the hard-hitting pieces uh, as well as um, you know, we need these things to be chronicled uh, for us to elevate this rivalry close to the ashes. I know the book, book publishing industry might not be in a great state in terms of, um, you know, uh, cost and other things, but hopefully more things are getting published and uh, uh, long may this rivalry continue and continue to grow. That's the way I would like to summarize, Sakib. Sahil, your parting words? Yeah, so... Uh... I would just say that, uh, like, ever since this uh, rivalry started, or when I started watching it uh, since '96, like, I mean, the quality of cricket has always been up there. I mean, there was a lull period uh, in 2011, 12, uh, 
uh, when India toured Australia, uh, when uh, India toured Australia, and then when Australia toured back India. I mean, those were the four zero series. Apart from that, uh, yeah, that 99-2000 series. If you take that out, I think it has always been an engrossing series uh, to watch. Especially the last three series. I know we haven't spoken much about the last three series, the two series in Australia and the one before in India, which argue, arguably, I think, with the uh, when people go back in time, they will say that yeah, they were like really high quality series, especially the one in India. I mean, I know like India gets criticized a lot for uh, preparing or doctoring these pitches and all, and uh, I, I still believe that India doesn't need to doctor pitches anymore because they also have the fast bowling uh, attack to play on any sort of pitch. So I'm just hoping that at least in this upcoming series, I mean, we get to see a good. Uh, series with these four test matches we have some like we probably might see the last of Virat Kohli, Rohit Sharma and the likes of Pujara and even who knows Ashwin and Jadeja I mean in the Border Gav- Gavaskar Trophy so with regards to like how uh, this rivalry will shape up I mean I would like to believe that as Vijay mentioned that uh, like because of the financial mus- muscle and financial hegemony of the big three I mean, uh, you might see that India and India versus Australia could be like the biggest like cricketing uh, contest. If it is not right now, then it is could. I mean, also like uh, I would say that uh, like overcome the ashes uh, in terms of the popularity in the coming years. Okay, we can do a podcast on that. I'm sure we both, everyone will have a lot to say, but I think thank you both for doing this on a, such a short notice and um, mm-hmm. I have to get ready for my day and you guys have to call it a night. So I'll try to publish it by the time you guys are back up in Australia and let's, you know, share with our friends on Twitter and enjoy the cricket that's coming our way. And I'll be more than happy to have you both back on the podcast uh, soon after this. Thanks guys. Take care. Thanks, Sagib, for having us. Thank you, Sagib. Thanks, Sahil. Cheers.